Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO at NextGen Agri International, where we help livestock managers to get the best out of their stock. I want to take this opportunity to thank our friends at MSD Animal Health and Allflex for sponsoring Head Shepherd again this season. And I'm also excited to introduce our mates at Heinegger as brand new sponsors of the show. MSD and Allflex, or perhaps better known as Cooper's Animal Health in Australia, offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios with a comprehensive suite of animal health and management products connected through identification, traceability and monitoring solutions. Like us, they see how the wealth and breadth of information born out of this podcast can help them and their farming clients achieve their mission of the science of healthier animals. Heineken will need a little introduction to our audience, a market leader and one-stop shop for wool harvesting and animal fibre removal, together with an expanding range of agricultural products and inputs. The Heineken name is synonymous with quality, reliability and precision. The Heineken team have a deep understanding of livestock agriculture, backed by Swiss engineering and a family business dedicated to manufacturing the best. It's fantastic to have both of these sponsors supporting us in bringing Head Shepherd to you each week. And now it's time to get on with this week's episode. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. We're back heading across the seas this episode, heading to Ireland this time with Dr. Tim Keady. Welcome, Tim. Great to have you online. Uh, good evening, Mark. Tim, you're uh, sitting in back in Ireland, but had a couple of weeks in New Zealand on, uh, yeah, a bit, bit of jet lag there by the sounds. Uh, we'll probably get into a bit of uh, comparison between production systems that you've seen over in your trip here and compared with home, but uh, you've got a, we were going through the list of things that you've done in your career before recording, but I might get you just to repeat your sort of, I guess, your background, your history and, and the, the sort of work that you've done to date. Okay, Mark. Uh, currently, I work at Chagas at Tenrai. I'm involved in sheep uh, sheep uh, research. I've in the last number of years, I've looked at many aspects of sheep nutrition and genotypes, uh, including areas such as deferred grazing, season of shearing, replacement management, age of first lambing, uh, finishing lambs both at pasture and indoors, mineral nutrition, and uh, nutritional use during late pregnancy. Uh, more recently been involved in thematic networks, looked at companion forages, and looked at grassland management and what are your targets and finishing all your lambs from grazed grass. Prior to that, I was head of beef production research in Northern Ireland, and I also lectured at Queen's University. And prior to that, I did about 15 years in dairy cow nutrition research. Yeah, so quite the quite the range in, uh, of, uh, of areas, but obviously all all ruminants and uh, and yeah, centered around around nutrition and management. You've just done a couple of weeks tour in New Zealand. What was what was that about? Yes, uh, one of the thematic networks that we're involved in is a European project. It involves eight countries. It's about uh, use of uh, different technologies uh, on farm with the with the intention of reducing labour and improving efficiency. So we decided to go to New Zealand. A group of uh, thirteen of us from eight different countries. To just to look at the new systems of sheep production in New Zealand, but also more specifically to look at the types and levels of technologies that have been used on farm, particularly to improve labour efficiency. Cool. So, what I mean from that trip and from your work to date, what sort of technology do you think are, are going to be the game changers? Uh, well, we had the opportunity to visit a number of uh, manufacturings, including Gallagher's and Prattley, and we got firsthand to see the, the manufacturing of their different handling facilities and the use of their um, different 
through test systems for recording data. Uh, we also visited a number of large-scale units or large-scale farms and stations. Uh, some of them are using some of the technologies, but to be quite honest, as a group, we were surprised that um, that more technologies weren't being adapted, for example, on New Zealand farms, particularly where they've got larger-scale flocks and where there may be opportunities for this technology to prove to be beneficial relative to some of the smaller flocks that we would have here in Ireland. Uh, I'm not saying that the producers are wrong. I'm actually was amazed to see that they 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 didn't believe at the time at this stage that these technologies had a lot to offer them. And I suppose one of the main reasons they probably thought that was that they're not EID tagging their sheep, uh, and then if they're not EID tagging, there was no they wouldn't be able to use these different technologies. But I also thought that possibly they could have used auto drafters and stuff like that. But we were in, we were on some farms with up to thirty thousand sheep. And they didn't have any of these technologies adopted. And the reasons being given, and I'm not arguing about them, would be that maybe cost and possibly relevance, but maybe in the future they may become more relevant and more applicable in their situations. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that if you've got enough scale, you tend to have enough staff to, to handle that scale and maybe and yeah, handling big mobs and efficiently through. It's quicker to get them through the drafting gate than it is to get them through an auto-drafter. So often... Yeah, I guess less precision, but yes. like greater work efficiency. That's right. I guess comparing sheep industry in Ireland versus sheep industry in New Zealand, yeah, obviously I guess the first thing would be generally smaller flocks, not not exclusively. The Well, I suppose um, the, the, the similarity would we would have, let's put it that way, would be that um, we would be both uh, as countries would be interested or aiming to produce as much of our lamb from grazed grass as possible. Uh, the, the, and, and, and we would possibly have some similar issues in terms of how we rear them, getting optimum performance from grazed grass, looking at rotation and grazing. But in terms of differences, uh, we would lamb a lot of our sheep indoors. Uh, we would have a lot smaller flocks than you guys have in New Zealand. The average flock size in Ireland is a less than 100 ewes per flock. Uh, we would possibly be going for a higher litter size. Um, uh, in terms of um, management post-lambing, about 70% of our male lambs would probably be left entire. We would have the same issues as you guys would have in terms of mineral nutrition, in terms of cobalt and, and um, selenium. So we would also have differences in you breed. Um, we saw a lot of Romney and some Merino while we were in New Zealand. In Ireland, about uh, 55% of the lowland sheep are Suffolk or Suffolk crosses. About uh, 14 or 15% are uh, Texel and about 8% is Charlie. So in Ireland, 70% of the uh, ewe flock is, uh, is has got some genes in it from terminal sires. About 10% would have it from Belclairs. So that means that the the genotype of our national flocks are totally different as well. Yeah, quite different and quite, by the sounds of those breeds, quite carcass shape orientated in a lot of the lowland breeds. Yeah, we would be, uh, some people would be carcass orientated, but at the end of the day, if you're talking about profitability in prime lamb productions, the number of lambs per you join is the driving force and the profitability of any farm system, particularly for us. So uh, if we want to move forward, we have to look at trying to increase the number of lambs group you join. So that means changing uh, your genotype. And just as we talk about that situation, I would say 
roughly since the last 40 to 50 years, the number of lambs reared per ewe joined in, uh, on average in Ireland has not increased, averaging about 1.3 to 1.4 lambs per ewe joined annually in Ireland. And if we look at it, the situation in New Zealand, it has increased in the last uh, 20 or 30 years in that you guys, you've increased the number of lambs reared per ewe joined, you've increased carcass weight, but you've reduced your flock size dramatically, still, maintain, still approximately maintaining lamb carcass output. I suppose another similarity we would have with, with New Zealand is that sheep numbers have declined dramatically since the uh, 80s and 90s. I know that in New Zealand, you've gone from about 70 million down to about 28 million sheep. That's total sheep. Whereas in Ireland, in breeding new terms, we would have gone from about 5 million down to about 2.5 million. So there's a, the, both national flocks have contracted and contracted dramatically. What has that land use gone to in Ireland away from sheep that gone to beef for? It's the same. It's the same as you guys. In in recent years, uh, there has been a big swing to dairy, in particular since quotas ha- has been removed, and uh, good lowland land where sheep are is uh, some of it is transitioning into dairy. For example, our dairy cow numbers in the last ten years have increased from one million to one point six million, and prior to that, there would also have been some land moving into beef and some land moving into tillage. Yeah, right. On. The Requirement to lamb indoors in Ireland, are the winters obviously tougher than they are here or is that is that more just how it's how it's done to get really high lamb survival on those numbers you can't afford to lose? If you've got 100 ewes, you can't afford to lose many lambs because every lamb is a... No, we don't want to. We want to try and keep as many lambs alive as possible. But one of the issues that would have put sheep indoors is the desire to uh, carry higher stocking rates. So a... Because we have little or no grass growth from October up till March, which is about five or six months with little or no grass growth, that if we have to flock sheep grazing outdoors, this uh, outdoor system that we've tried have shown that the maximum stocking rate will be about nine to ten use per hectare, whereas if we put them indoors, then it's possible to carry 13, 14 use per hectare. So housing them indoors, one of the advantages is it helps you to build up grass and carry a higher stocking rate. The second advantage is that when you have them housed indoors, uh, considering that about um, 50 to 60 percent of sheep farmers in Ireland are part time, it means that they can tend to their flocks when they come home in the evening in the dark and feed the sheep unless labour is required. So the main issue that has driven us indoors is that the desire to carry a higher stocking rate and also because the desire not to damage ground due to poaching uh, due, to, due to the wet winters that we do have in Ireland as we are in a temperate climate here in the, in the west in Western Europe. Yeah, that's interesting. So half sheep producers do something else in the in the daytime. That's right, yeah, they work off farm. Yeah, right. One thing that I'm a little bit jealous of of Ireland is the a massive swing into genotyping a lot of a lot of the flocks. There's been a lot of investment in genotyping in recent years, and I think. I think I saw something on social media that anyone can now genotype their flock rams, as we would call them, and and work out which ones are, are good and not so good. That's uh, has been a, a fair bit of innovation over the last few years. Yes, genotyping for pedigree breeders is is coming in, and uh, also depending on the breed society that you're in, that if you want to sell at, at different sales, you have depending on the breed uh, society that you're involved in. You would have to have your uh, sire, the sires all genotyped. 
more recently, as so, some 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 breed societies are, are requiring that rams going through the sales ring are paired for a fight. So that means that their dams have to be genotyped as well as the lambs themselves genotyped. So in a pedigree, in the last number of years, they, in pedigree breeding, genotyping is uh, becoming and DNA sampling is becoming more important. And it's looking like that in a new scheme that has has been launched uh, this year, that one of the requirements, if you're a member of the sheep welfare scheme, is that you have to buy a genotyped ram uh, during this course of the scheme. And that's put, that, that's where a lot of genotyping is coming involved. Uh, I'm not aware of people genotyping commercial sheep. It's all pedigree sheep. Yeah, right. On. A quick interruption here to remind you of Head Shepherd Premium and our consulting services at NextGen Agri International. If you love this podcast and want to hear more of them, visit thehub.nextgenagri.com and sign up for Head Shepherd Premium and get an extra podcast each week. If you're listening to this and thinking you really do want to maximise the genetic gain of your livestock and feel more confident around the decisions you're making on farm, then send me an email at mark at nextgenagri.com and we'll get in touch and see, see where that takes us. What are the major challenges facing Irish farmers? Well, within the farm gate, the major challenges is uh, trying to increase the number of lambs where per you joined. Uh, good grassland management is still a major challenge. Um, there, there's an issue that parasite resistance is beginning to raise its head and there's a resistance developing to different products. And outside the farm gate, every farmer will say that the issues that's, that's occurring is uh, trying to, to maintain an increased price received per kilo of lamb carcass sold. And so all that production is consumed locally, is it? Or are you exporting to other parts of Europe, the lamb production? No, no. We're, like New Zealand, we're a major exporter. We're exporting 70% of the lamb that we produce. Yeah, right. And uh, our main export markets is into Europe. So we would put about 32% of our lamb into France. About 20% of our sheep meat goes into the UK. 13% goes into Germany. And 9% or 10% goes into Belgium. So they are our main export markets. While we may be a small island or a small, have a small uh, total sheep flock, our total sheep flock is about 2.5 million breeding ewes. We're actually the fourth largest sheep meat exporter in the world. We're the second largest within Europe, and we're the largest net sheep meat exporter within Europe. So we come after uh, Australia, New Zealand, UK, and Ireland. There you go, pun- punching above your weight. Well, I don't know. Sure, we try our best. It's the same we try to do in the ro- and the rugby field what we do in sheep production. <laughs> <laughs> that should get a few people stirred up. Be, uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. That. What's the, is what are the messages from that those consumer markets? Are you seeing the breeds you mentioned don't scream a lot of intramuscular fat? Are they more interested in carcass shape and or cut shape, or are they? Is there an interest in in eating quality as well? There, there's an interest in uh, all the aspects that you mentioned, but the main, the main, the main, the key factor is carcass weight. We get paid up to um, depending on the time of the year. Our producers get paid up to maybe 20, 20 kilo carcass, 19 kilo carcass earlier on the year, 20 mid-season, 21, 22 later on in the season. And if the carcass, carcass is way heavier than that, you don't get paid for the extra weight. The key issue is, so his carcass weight is the first one. The second one is that you have a level of fat cover on them. So that they want a fat grade, a fat score of two or three. And also then that the carcasses have got a nice confirmation of maybe an hour in a new. Cool. You mentioned you've done some work on 
joining new lambs if we're in Australia or joining new hoggets if we're in New Zealand. So is that standard practice to mate use at seven or eight months of age or is that that's something that people are getting into? No, it's not standard practice and it's very hard to put a figure on it, but I would say about maybe 20 to 30% of the U replacements coming in Ireland would be joined as you, we call it mating new lambs, you call it mating new hoggets. Yeah. The reason we looked at it a lot recently is that the two major factors that affect the cost of a replacement is the number of lambs that she produces per litter and also the number of litters that she produces during her la- lifetimes. So the more lambs or the more progeny she produces, the lower is the, the cost of the co- the replacement cost per given la- per lamb exiting the system. In our in our system here, we've estimated that the cost of rearing replacement is equivalent to approximately 25% of the lamb carcass value that she'll produce during her lifetime. And that's only rearing the replacement to 18 months of age when she would normally join the flock. So to try and reduce that replacement, we've looked at breeding them as your lambs and also breed, uh, also trying to increase litter size by changing genotype. Uh, when we, We've done a, a number of studies on breeding your lambs, looking at different genotypes, and one of the key factors that we came out with was an efficiency index of the probability of rearing at least one lamb. And if we look at that efficiency index, um, we found that if you wanted the, the probability of rearing at least one lamb, uh, weight at, approx- at joining at approximately seven months of age would need to be about 43 kilos for a, a prolific breed such as the Belclare. 53 kilos for a less prolific breed such as the Suffolk and about 46 kilos for the breed which would be a Suffolk cross belly clear. Uh, during our studies we found that one of the key factors that affecting uh, ewe lamb performance uh, at joining was weight at seven months of age and that's why we're talking about the probability of we're airing at least one lamb and our target mating weights vary depending on the breed from 43 kilos up to 53 kilos for the less prolific breeds. It was interesting and well because not alone did we look at uh, the effect of, of uh, breeding new lambs or new hoggets, we also looked at the effect of subsequent effect on two toots and lifetime performance. And we found that the effect, that there is a, still an effect of weight at seven months on productivity when lambing as two toots. It's hard to believe it, but that's what we found. And we found that if we increase the weight at seven months of age by, we'll say, 15%, that's about uh, seven kilos, that it increases the probability when joined to lamb at two toots, it'll increase the probability of rearing at least one lamb between five and 8%, depending on the genotype that you're working in. And this data shows that the stage of development of the ewe lambs or the ewe hoggets when joined at seven months has an important long-term acquaintance long-term consequences even for adult you performance yeah excellent i think we've found similar things in australia australia and new zealand and also uh, in australia and a bit of work we're doing at the moment with andrew thompson at murdoch university is uh we've seen a you know weighted normal two-tooth mating having impact on their four-tooth uh output as well so that's in a in a group of sheep that hadn't grown very much to two-tooth and, and weight weight at that point was really important so yeah it seems pretty clear that getting you set up early in life and getting that weight on early is is good for their lifetime productivity yes and we found as well that when you join them as a you lamb or you hoggard that even though it there were lower at joining for at at 19 months to lamb as two toots they were lower in weight of about three to four kilos and had no effect on the performance when lambing as two toots 
and also in other studies that we've undertaken uh, where we've looked at um, replacement management planes and nutrition, uh, having a difference in live weight uh, at 19 months of age when t- when joining Talamis Tutus of up to about six or seven kilos had no effect on new productivity as determined by litter size or also on the number of lambs or air per you joined. So what these studies are showing that actually if you're going to focus on weight and focus on replacement growth rate, it's what weight these animals are at about seven to 10 months of age seems to be the key thing. Yeah, cool. Is that something that's likely to increase in Ireland? Is farmers moving into it or, or is it sort of a static number of people that are mating new lambs? Well, it's kind of a thing that's for the specialist sheep breeder that if you're not going to do it right, you're better not off. You're better off not to do it at all. Uh, there is a core of sheep farmers uh, actually doing it, and there there is evidence to show that sometimes that when your lamb is a ewe hogger or as a as a ewe lamb, that uh, they're they're they tend to be better mothers. But we haven't got that's only circumstantial evidence. When they're lambing as a ewe lamb, they tend to be better mothers than when lambing for the first time as two toots. Uh, so when they when they when an animal has lambed as a ewe lamb, uh, lambs for this for their second time when they're two toot, they're far better mothers than when they're lambing for the first time as a two toot. Yeah, and I think we see that anecdotally here for sure, but yeah, I'm not aware of yeah any proof. Uh, Fifty three kilos is a pretty heavy weight. In seven months, that would take some specialist nutrition. Well, 53 kilos is a decent lamb, as I'd say. Uh, it would take specialist nutrition, but we try to do that from grass grass without any concentrate supplementation. Okay. And I guess in those breeds, they're higher growth breeds anyway. Is that what we're talking about? They probably are. I suppose that if we want to talk about trying to reach these targets, um, from data from 12-year studies that we undertook where we would have sheep on different planes in nutrition during pregnancy and if I t- and different uh, plan- planes in nutrition during the grazing season, if we look at the average level of performance for their progeny, uh, reared a single twin, born and reared a single twins or triplets, over 12 years, the le- average level of performance we've got in terms of lightweight gain from birth to weaning of singles, rare to singles, will be 330 grams. For twins, rare to twins, it will be 280 grams. And for triplet barden lambs, rare to triplets, uh, up to weaning would also be 280 grams. So that means our target uh, weights at weaning for singles is tr- 38 kilos, for twins is 32 kilos, and for triplets is 31 kilos. I must say that when we're rearing singles and twins, they're, rare, they're reared from yours to her on grazed grass without any concentrate supplementation, but where we have yaws rare in triplets, the yaws will get access to concentrate of 0.5 of a kilo for the first five weeks post, for the first five, 0.5 of a kilo per ewe per day for the first five weeks post lambing, and their lambs will have access to a creep feeder where they'll get up to 300 grams of concentrate per lamb uh, up till the point of weaning. So that means that each triplet rearing lamb, reared lamb will have consumed 25 kilos of concentrate but it gives you the same level of performance as twin reared as twin reared lambs. Uh, so the, uh, twin reared lambs without any concentrate supplementation. So with a bit of concentrate supplementation, we're able to get our triplets to perform the same as twin as twin reared lambs without concentrate supplementation. So with these level with these levels of performance, then it it is possible to uh, it is relatively possible to achieve 
50 to 53 kilos uh, of live weight uh, when you're joining, and we will be joining them type of animals in late October. Yeah, interesting. Is creep feeding not something that we see much done much of around the place? Um, probably more in Europe than Australia, New Zealand. Is it is it fairly common practice to have a creep feed out for for multiple lambs? It, it used to be fairly common practice to have a creep feeder out on some farms, uh, but with the massive increase in concentration the last uh, ten to twelve months, uh, people have pulled away from creep feeding and going back to uh, grassland management. But I must say that uh, from work that we had done previously with creep feeding, that putting in um, 300 grams or 600 grams of concentrate per lamb per day uh, up to weaning and up to slaughter, while we all know that it increased lamb performance and reduced the age of slaughter, that um, creep feeding basically replaced good grassland management and reduced the age of slaughter by about three weeks. And we found that if you're good grassland management, you're able to you get half the effect of creep feeding. So basically creep feeding with good grassland management didn't didn't result, creep feeding and good grassland management didn't result in an economic response. And if you had very bad grassland management, it probably did result in an economic response. Yeah, right. That's interesting. And I imagine, yeah, it'd be interesting to do the sums here. I haven't really thought about it, but if, yeah, if you've got, I guess we know that on good pastures, sheep can do really well. So. and that's obviously the cheapest stuff to grow. That's right. Excellent, Tim. Well, um, yeah, we might wrap it up there. That's nearly half an hour. So we'll, uh, um, I'll let you go back and deal, get to bed if you and deal with your jet lag. But um, yeah, appreciate your time coming on, and yeah, look forward to hearing more of your work down the track. Okay, thank you. Thanks again to our mates at Heineken who are proud world leaders in the manufacturing and supply professional sheep shearing and clipping equipment. They understand that their customers rely on the quality and performance of their products each and every day. Also thanks to our friends at MSD Animal Health and Orflex. They offer an extensive livestock product portfolio focused on animal health and management, all backed up by exceptional service. Both of these companies are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries, and we thank them for sponsoring the Head Shepherd Podcast.